iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. And Steve, can we just shake your microphone? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, make make sure it's nice and close to you. Okay. It's f-ed up my nose. What a weekend. Great games, great tries and great drama as England ruined France's Grand Slam plans. Whilst Johnny Sexton won his arm wrestle with Finn Russell for the Lions' number 10 jersey. And as for Wales, they march on towards their own Grand Slam showdown in Paris on Saturday. This is The Ruck. I'm Lawrence Delalio and joining me today are Stephen Jones, Alex Lowe and Owen Slot. Gentlemen, good morning. Does it feel like a year since um, since we uh, were last in the studio and have been rucking from our from our home? And uh, well, what's changed? Well, not a lot really. Still can't see Stephen Jones. Um, there's no camera there. Look, this is a podcast. It's not a video cast. Okay, you don't have to see me. The fans can't see me, however much they'd like to. This is you lot are the great IT bloody wizards. Slotty sounds like he's talking through a cat's meat tin. Arthur's, well, I mean, you don't really want to see Arthur because his hair's gone completely crazy. Even you, Lola, have your moments. My IT is not the best, but let's be fair. When I do get online, what comes out is pure gold. Lawrence, is that what's called poking a bear? <laughs> I think we did poke the bear. And talking about poking the bear, that brings us very, very nicely on to England's performance because uh, I described it as after those endless weeks of kicking that we saw last autumn this was a test match that made you kind of fall in love or fall back in love with, t- with test rugby in terms of the, the the manner that England won it was at times quite sublime breathtaking I thought it was a, a beautiful match um, and just goes to show that when two teams not just one have this kind of attacking mindset I mean I can't recall a better first 40 minutes particularly of, of international rugby for, for quite some time I was sitting next to Barnsley during the game and, you know, even from an early stage, the old cynic Barnes and the old cynic Jones thinking, blimey, this is absolutely marvellous. I think it was possibly, in a way, touched off by the way that the French started the game and uh, I, I don't think, I don't know whether England, in fact, we'll never know, we'll never know, whatever they say, whether they intended to play quite as attack-minded as that, but it was just absolutely brilliant. And I'll just tell you one thing, you know, considering the end of it, the game hardly lasted remotely as long as the normal games. You get two-hour games these days. Because both teams wanted to play, no one wanted to waste time. It meant it was safer. There, were, there weren't so many contacts. And it ended about 10 minutes earlier because people wanted to get on with it. And it was absolutely marvellous. England put in a, an unbelievable performance. A lot of people were asking, I think that a lot of the former players, players that I played with were saying... I mean, this is brilliant, but the frustrations is why has why is it taken so long? Why does it take England to be slight underdogs, even though the bookies had them as favourites? 
you know, the games where there's a bit of an emotional edge for England, where they go into it as with, with everything on the line. I mean, let's be honest, some of these players had them, their reputations, their, their very futures on the line in this game. I don't think that's too dramatic to say, because if France had put them to the sword, you may not have seen them again. Why does it take that to, to bring out this kind of performance in, in, in the England team? I'm not sure I totally agree with that sort of part of the narrative because the uh, England players had their reputations and their futures on the line against Wales two weeks previously. They, you know, their all-time nadir was against Scotland at the start of Six Nations. So theoretically, they needed to put in a good one against Italy, and we, as we know, that they put in, they had a very very average victory there. So I'm not sure I sort of quite agree with with that part of it, but I do certainly agree with that that feeling of frustration that you know why has it been 16 months to link up that game against New Zealand with the equivalent performance against France. I mean, that doesn't make sense. And um, I mean, a, a question that I would like to put to the panel, and, and I'm, I'm sorry if I'm not smart enough to, to know it, but did we really have to go through the autumn, that period where Eddie Jones said, this is the way the game is at the moment, we're going through a, a, a cycle of kicking. Well, lots of teams went through that cycle as well, but do, do we really believe that? I mean, I thought at the time that even if that was the way the game was pointing or the way that tactically it was being refereed, that England should have been big enough and bold enough to try and play better than that. But but do we re- actually believe that that's what had to happen? The way that, that England found themselves on Saturday trying to run the ball and for that, that sort of third quarter, they kept coughing up turnovers and penalties in possession. What they were trying to avoid in the autumn was exactly that situation. And they didn't have a kind of a boldness of vision to to back their ball carriers and back their their skill players to, to find a way out of it. And so they just retreated behind a, a relentless kicking game. What impressed me on Saturday, and the trigger point is interesting, as Josie says, was that their intention all the way through, was that they they didn't get flustered. They didn't pull away from trying to play just because... Max Malian's found himself on his own a couple of times and got turned over. They kept going at it. And and in the final 12, 13 minutes, they built this incredible um, intensity and pressure on on France. And there was a, a passion to play about three minutes long, unbroken, in which England went at them three times, three different stages, I guess. And the last of those, France conceded the penalty, England kicked for the corner and scored the try. It just feels like... The criticism that England got, from my perspective, in the autumn, fully justified because we know how well they can play and they were nowhere near it. The the criticism they got after the Scotland game, which riled people in the camp, fully justified because they were woeful and we know how well they can play. And this was a performance that showed how well they can play because above anything else, I think they backed themselves to to, to run the ball and find other ways of of creating space and and, and scoring tries. And so, in that sense, Dr. Yohans, I, I I'm not sure it was quite so justified in in the autumn. It felt like a safety first approach. Totally agree. Totally agree. Eddie's brilliant at coming up with excuses for his own mistakes, and that was that the autumn was one big long excuse for his own mistakes. The game now is in great heart again, partly because England came out, and we'll never know. If, if that was all Eddie's plan, he'll try and take the credit, or if England suddenly said, come on, boys, we're better than this. While mm. playing so badly, they have been talking about what they're trying to do. Henry Slade had a really interesting comment a few weeks ago about England's long-term plan is to create a game that actually gets him involved in the way that brings the best out of him, which we all know is is with, with the, the ball in his hands and some space to run into. Mm. And, and we did 
we saw glimpses of that against Italy, a bit more against Wales, and we saw it again against France. So I do feel that their intention has been that, but it's it's have they actually had the control in the game? Have they had the the the, the quick ball and the and the and the, the momentum in order to to have the guts almost to play like that. And that's where, for me, players like Billy Vunipola stepping up in the last couple of games, Carl Sinclair's been massive. Thrusting England onto the front foot has actually helped them achieve that, whereas previously they couldn't win that game line battle, so they just retreated behind the boot. One thing that I went away from Twickenham thinking about was, does Eddie get the last laugh on selection, or or did, did Eddie get his selection right? So so we've been saying from Scotland, or even before Scotland, you've got to change the players who are lagging. So the players who are falling off their off the pace, like Billy in, in, in particular, uh, Ben Youngs, at, and, and, and Owen Farrell at the start of Six Nations. Now, he's stuck to his guns with, with those players, and they've had a, a pretty shoddy Six Nations. But then suddenly, was he proven right on Saturday because they came back to their uh, as close to their best, or should he have made that change and um, and blooded other people because they were off form previously? Well, it depends on on where you, where you come at it, really. I mean, everyone made an argument for the the Saracens players would they be would they be um, battle hardened or or, uh, or or rusty? And the answer is they they were the latter, weren't they? They, they were off the pace, I think, mentally uh, as well as physically. Um, and unfortunately, Eddie had sort of no choice really but to continue to play them because uh, you know they weren't suddenly going to get fit playing you know rugby elsewhere, were they? So uh, you know, almost using England games as a way of getting them back to to, to test match speed or, or to to match intensity. And the dropping of Elliot Daly and Jamie George for a game as significant as France, I think, did did the job because you're not going to make wholesale changes for a game of that magnitude anyway. And I think with the experienced players and you know the axis of of the likes of of Ben Youngs, Vunipola, Ford and Farrell, who all have an average of eighty three caps each. I mean that's that's something. I mean that most people have finished their career on that, and they'd be very pleased with that. So a lot of those players would have looked behind and, and seen the, uh, the the fact that two of their their, their friends have been have been put on the bench um, for the biggest game of, of 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 the Six Nations, and I think it had the uh, it had the effect. It, it lifted the performance of, of of players, and Billy was was uh, was was fantastic. Really, almost back to his very best actually against France, um, and uh, and the performances of the others as well. And actually, Elliot Daly, who's been struggling like mad for form and hasn't had any really, you know, even he, he looked very very sharp when he came on because suddenly, as I know from my own experiences, being dropped, you know, doesn't doesn't sit very comfortably with with champion players. So. So I, I don't think he got his selection right in the first instance. No, it was always going to be a bit of a gamble. But um, you know, England Jonesy, was... would you would you stick with um with Malins for uh, for Ireland because you can't just play one player and then not give him a proper oh, goal? Oh yeah, yeah, yes, of course I would. I mean, the thing is, well, do you know, a lot of the things we're saying and a lot of the question marks we're raising amongst ourselves today, we'll, we we will know more about on Saturday and soon afterwards because at the moment it is just a one off. And in a one-off, you can't predict if all the things you wanted to come right have actually come right for good. So let's see. But I mean, yeah, yeah, you've got to keep millions. You've got to keep Cohen Dickey because you can't just bung them in. Then you have a good win, so you kick them out again. Let's just talk about some some of the stellar performances as well, which often get overlooked. I mean, Anthony Watson, I think, playing on the wing, fiftieth cap. I thought he was magnificent uh, again. Um, you know, just one of the, probably England's one, one of England's most dangerous players. And uh, I mean, I. I know some people picked up on it, but I, I, I was drawn to the performance of Tom Curry, really, who I thought was right back up there. You know, we talked about him 
being one of the best back row forwards in the world, and certainly in that in the in the World Cup knockout stages, he he, he was immense. And I thought that uh, he produced both from both sides of the ball on Saturday. A wonderful performance, you know. It was it, it was huge, really. Uh, just so so impressed, and I, I keep looking at him and, and seeing he's only twenty two years of age. Just to measure that, I mean, I didn't even make my England debut until I was twenty two years of age, and this is a player who is well, he's got the world at his feet, really. Do you think England missed out on not picking you earlier, Lawrence? <laughs> Every player will t- tell you that they got missed out because they didn't get picked earlier. But uh, finally, a- we discover what this podcast is all about. It's just just berating the uh, England selectors for not. No, not at all. Listen, I mean, it's very simple. Jonesy knows it because he, he he followed my career. Uh, I didn't play for Bath, so I didn't get picked for England. Fair point. That's had, fair. Had, had I played for Bath, I would have done. So, uh, but um, I was happy in London. <laughs> I, was, I was very happy in London. But anyway, this is not I about think, me, as you with know. Carrie Lawrence, um, I, I very very early in the game, there was a, a what, maybe one of the first really contesting contested rucks. Suddenly, this sort of force of nature came in from the right and smashed everybody off the ball. Mm. And everyone thought, God, who, that, who was that? That was Curry putting his mark on it. And, and he stayed like that all the way through. And uh, we, we, we must talk as well about the um, the captain's referral decision that Eddie Jones, Eddie Jones is very sharp on. Uh, for those listeners who don't know, there's, an, there's a, a, a law being introduced in the Southern Hemisphere at the moment as we speak, uh, where each captain, the captain of each side, is allowed one referral in a game where you can ask the referee to, to, to ask the TMO to look at something in particular. And at the moment, as with all these laws, it favours the Southern Hemisphere first. They get to know how to how to use them really effectively. And then we introduce them here about a year later, which is always a bit of a mystery to me. Why don't you just all introduce them at the same time? Uh, anyway, it is currently happening in the Southern Hemisphere, but we saw it for the first time ever at Twickenham. <laughs> and I thought a lot of people would have said, you know, wouldn't have had a clue what Eddie Jones was, was going on about. Arthur, you might like to explain exactly what happened there. England have just taken the lead. There's about a minute and a half left. And Ben Earl... Uh, is awarded a, a breakdown penalty just near the touchline. He's he's clearly not holding his body weight. Um, he's off his feet, but the, England get the get the call. It quite often happens. And then the next thing I know, I, I, there was no interjection from the TMO. I didn't hear anything from the touch charge, but there might have been. Suddenly, Andrew Clancy has has reversed his decision and, and is apologising for making the wrong call. As it turned out, it was exactly the right decision from the referee. Ben was off his feet. Um, ju- yeah, these things are marginal, but his arm, his forearms were on the floor, and it just gave France one last chance to win the game. And uh, as you say, Eddie was very, very hot on. It's, it's, it's unusual for that to happen. Mm. I mean, it, it, it wasn't a captain's referral like like is in place in the Southern Hemisphere. Eddie had been watching Super Rugby on the morning of the game, so it was obviously hot in his mind, but. It's an unusual thing for the referee to do, but he he, he got it right. So, um, uh, and it didn't cost England in the end because, of all people, Dupont knocked on at the breakdown and and uh, and, and that ended the game. But that's why he was so cross because it put England under pressure for one last one last minute of um, uh, on the back foot. It, it seems to me on that that occasion that that yeah it was a, it was an interesting incident and it was kind of funny the way he put it but it was totally irrelevant to the to the bigger narrative of the game and why did he want us to go away talking about this captain's call thing this captain's challenge rather than talking about how bloody good his team had just been yeah I tell you what one of the things that he I think he has he did drop in post match while praising Tom Curry was to talk about Tom Curry's leadership and that's something that we haven't heard before 
he talked about his, how he stepped up to become a senior player, how he's, you know, he's part of that that group. And he's paving, that the, feels way. Like he's paving the way for the captaincy. That conversation will, will go on post-Lions. Who, who knows what, what evolution he's got in mind for the team. But I just I just wonder whether down the line we might come back to the, that game and that post-match press conference. And, that, and for the first, it's just the first time he's described Tom Curry in those terms. Mm. Um, as a as an important leader in the team, you're when, suggesting that we might skip the Marrow generation. Not necessarily, uh, but I just feel that it's I, I, there's obviously a potential that that Tom Curry could, mm. as as Lawrence said, he's only 22. It's Marrow like the sort of the 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 Prince Charles, the King in waiting. But actually, we all know he should just be overlooked, and we go straight to the next one. Well, he sh- he shouldn't be overlooked on this podcast because um, I mean, you know, th- he was a penalty machine uh, in against uh, Wales. But uh, again, I, ju- I just think there's magnificent. Uh, I just think it's Wales. notable that that Eddie has has brought Tom Curry into the general leadership yeah. conversation um, at the age of 22. I'm not I'm not saying that it would, the captaincy would go straight to him, but I would be. St- Surprised if he reaches the end of his career having not captain England at some point. And Alex, I, I like you on captaincy. How's Jamie George, the Lions captain, looking at the moment? That's looking less hot at the moment, <laughs> um, <laughs> because I mean, Luke Cowan Dickey is uh, is playing himself into that squad. I think he's been mm. it's it, that power that he generates through the carry and that sort of ferocity is is exactly what the Lions might need against the Springboks. Three Lions. So, yeah, the, the, three... the odds on Jamie George as the Lions captain are probably sliding a little bit, <clears throat> but maybe now's the time to put a few quid on it. And um, Jonesy, what what now for France? They did they did slightly run out of steam. I think England uh, can take some credit for that. I thought the England type, you know, the type five raised their game. But let's be fair about this. Um, they, they lost the game. They'd be horrified. But they only lost it in the dying moments to a try that was originally quite controversial, as you said, Lawrence. There was a there was a brilliant try at, uh, on at half time, which would have taken them well clear had not Tom Curry brought off such a, a brilliant um, uh, turnover. And, and and I don't think they were all that far from winning the game. It was very close. So, uh, you know, just a little bit more uh, conditioning, as as you said. But, I mean, when, when this, this team's taking shape for the World Cup, when they were on the front foot, the halfbacks were sublime. I thought Gail, Gail Fiku and uh, and Vakatawa in the midfield looked arguably the best centre partnership in the game. So, you know, I think you're right in what they needed to do to make themselves better. But my God, this, te- this team is on its way. I mean, they've, got, they've obviously got an opportunity almost immediately to bounce back against Wales. I mean, what, if anything, did we learn from... Well, what's, what can only be conceived as a training run, you know, romp really against Italy. It, it hasn't looked good for the Italians. I mean, you tend to, they tend to fade even further away as the tournament goes on because obviously, um, you know, it's injuries and and, uh, and fatigue play a part. But um, it was it, it was pretty emphatic from Wales. And I mean, will they learn very much from that? Well, I mean, I think what I'm trying to say is that they're four from four, but I guess their biggest test is probably about to about to come on them, isn't it? Really. Wales haven't really had a, a defining performance yet, which you, you, you sort of feel a, a, a grand slamming team needs. And if they were to beat France uh, away, then that would be it. But, but I, I look back at, at, at previous grand slams, particularly England in, the, in, the, in 2016. And, and England didn't really play very much decent rugby or hardly any at all in 2016. But, but they, they gradually sort of built a, bit of, a, a little bit of confidence on the back of their awful World Cup. They gradually felt a bit better and then some momentum started coming and then they won their penultimate game pretty confidently 
which was the Ireland game, I think. And then and they had to go to France to, to win a Grand Slam as well. And still they weren't outstanding there, but they managed to get it done. And I kind of feel that that's where this this Wales team are. If they do it, then they'll, then they'll have earned it. I've got absolutely no time for people to say, oh, it's been a lucky Grand Slam. They, they don't exist, but but they, they've definitely got to go up a gear. They're, they're not good enough to beat France away yet. And Jonesy, you know, Wayne Pivak under pressure, certainly from, from the autumn internationals. How has he turned this team around after such a, an average start? I mean, he, he had a bit of controversy where, he, where he's brought in a new defence coach. I think Byron Haywood, um, you know, party yes. company and Gethin Jenkins has, has, has come in there. Obviously, no Sean Edwards, so they've moved on from that. And there's one or two players that, that I guess, when you look at their 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 club or regional, whatever you want to call it, form for Wales that, that they haven't really had much. And then suddenly they, they put them in that Welsh shirt. And I'm thinking about Alan Wynne-Jones, who I thought maybe maybe going all the way through to this Lions tour would be would be a stretch with the likes of, of, of Maratoji and James Ryan. But, but actually, we, we've all been proved wrong. I mean, he's been an absolute titan as captain. Lawrence, um, lots of people thought that about Wynne Jones. I didn't think he had a chance for this Lions, but now he's the favourite to be captain, and rightly yeah. so. Yeah, no, so, I, so I think he takes a lot of credit. I think, I don't know, I can't quite work out, because I, I look at Wales statistically, and I'm not always driven by stats, but they haven't been that great. You know, they're sort of down the, you know, in terms of their attacking. I mean, obviously, when you play Italy... It, it's like getting a, you know, it's like being given an exam paper. We've seen it early, you know. I mean, you just you get nearly hundred percent. It just completely skews the, the the statistics. But if you look at their first three games, they've not been great. But yet, in the business end of the pitch, they've got the job done. So they've been smart. They've been quite clinical, quite ruthless. Well, first of all, um, Alan Wynn was not, obviously not fit for the autumn. Secondly, um, I think we were slightly uh, looking at Wales as even worse than they looked, which was pretty bad, because Pivac genuinely, and I mean genuinely, was was shuffling the pack and making experiments. But don't forget, I mean, I think their key man, key leader, are almost as, as important as Wynn Jones, is Ken Owens. I think he's an absolutely one of the all-time great Welsh leaders and hookers. I think George North finally coming back onto form has helped them. I think their back three are in two years' time will be absolutely brilliant. But it's it's you know, they've sort of staggered along, but they've played really well in the last. 20 minutes of the game when the when the games were in the balance but again I just there's a great line by our colleague Steve James this morning where he said uh, the trouble is with Wales against Italy it was like a test cricket team playing against Oxford University which I thought was a great line considering James he was a Cambridge University opening batsman so even now he can't leave he can't leave the varsity match alone. But, um, I, I don't think they'll they'll beat France, but I think they're on an upward curve. Enjoy more rugby insight and analysis throughout the season with the Times and the Sunday Times. Get a subscription today and get one month free. Search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the ruck for more details. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Now, gents, the, uh, the Scotland-Ireland game. I mean, it's always difficult to follow such a, a game as we saw at Twickenham between, in, between England and France. But um, is it me or is there, is there, has there been a growing sense of niggle in this game? I know that players obviously, you know, don't necessarily follow the bit, you know, the, 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 the headlines or the news in, in, in terms of the bigger picture. But there's just a bit, of, there seems to be a bit of animosity between these two teams. I mean, whether, whether it's things that have been said pre- whether it's the fact that you know Scotland voted for uh, Scotland voted for France in the World Cup and and not Ireland to host it, um, and and I think ever since that moment, I think that there's, there's always been a little bit more here. But um, uh, I guess Johnny Sexton held his nerve to earn Ireland the victory after what we, we can only be described as a pretty spirited you know Scottish fight back. Uh, let's get to what our listeners want to hear about: who's going to play number ten for the Lions? And I mean, obviously that was a big statement. Is, do, do we think he's seen off Finn Russell for that? Lions fly half jersey. Arthur, let's start with you. Not yet. I'd probably go back to what Jones said about England that, that you know one swallow does not make a summer. I, it was it was a strong performance from Sexton. I've not been convinced the whole way through this that Finn Russell would be Warren Gatland's choice at fly half. And I thought we saw a sort of a classic example of why when Scotland were chasing the game and he pushed a kick to the corner and it went a long way dead. Penalty kick for the corner. I, I think the fly half role is Fascinating. I'm not. I'm not convinced we we had a, a solution to it from Murrayfield on uh, on on Sunday. Nor me. And I think Johnny Sexton to play South Africa away at the age of 35 when he is breakable is a, is a risk. He he may go, may play in the Test, but I I I think it's possible he won't he won't even go. I really do. Did you say South Africa away, Jersey? Is that is that a, an exclusive? Have you broken a story there? With the... yes, you're gonna have to hold till next Sunday though. <laughs> do we actually think it's an either or I'm, I'm slightly surprised by this I think it's a neither or neither I think Finn Russell will probably go because he, he, he might he might be an option that could do something but um, has to has to play his way into the team I, I'm not even sure I put Sexton on the plane and I think it's between one of the two Englishmen oh god strong stuff yeah, it's, from I don't there. think it, it's strong not stuff. an either or between, it's not an either or between those no. two but there was a there was a narrative Around yesterday, a Lions narrative, and I, I just don't think either of them. I think Sexton had a good game, but I take Jonesy's point, and I actually think it's it, it does come down to a fascinating decision about Owen Farrell, which I think we've discussed on the pod before yeah. about whether he is a Test fly half or whether he's now better as a Test inside centre alongside someone he trusts, which I think is key. He trusts Sexton and he trusts George Ford. Mm. Gatlin's got options, isn't he? Dan Bigger as well. And, and as you say, Finn Russell, Sexton, Farrell. If Farrell had Finn Russell inside him at 10, would it not be a little bit of a rewind to, to the Farrell's, famous Farrell-Cipriani uh, combination where Farrell didn't even talk to him or look at him and tried to pretend he wasn't even, even on the pitch at the same time? 
I absolutely think so. And I don't, I'm not saying there'd be a personality clash between them, but I just think there's a, a philosophical clash between them. The reason that Ford and Farrell play well is although Ford's a much different player, they've grown up playing together, Ford, and, and, and the dynamic works. I think my thing about Farrell at 12 is he, he still wants to be the leader and I'm not sure how much he's prepared to cede authority to a fly half inside and particularly one who's much more of a maverick and would, would make decisions that Owen wouldn't make. I think George Ford makes the same decisions. Johnny Sexton makes the same decisions, which is why that those two partnerships have worked. But, I, 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 don't see, I don't see Russell and, and Farrell as a 10-12 as a combo for the Lions. Let's just remember, though, that R- Russell has played absolutely really well for his club. And uh, let's don't forget the thing about you always look better if you won some ball. I mean, Lawrence was right to say that Scotland came back into that game in the second half, which they did. But my God, in the first half, I thought the Scottish forwards were poor and were bested by a team that wanted it more. And I think that day yesterday cost Scotland two or three places on the, in the tour party uh, up front. And I also think that we should uh, uh, not write off Finn Russell because hopefully he'll be playing with a better pack that wants to know when he, if and when he plays for the Lions. Lord, you were on that '97 Lions tour. You had you had Gregor Townsend as, as your fly half mm. for the Lions, and he had a reputation, a playmaking reputation, not dissimilar to Finn Russell, but played with much greater structure to help you win that series. Do you think Russell? can emulate that does he have it does he want to play like that I mean he, he obviously can do it he's just a phenomenally skillful player mm. but he would need to fit into a system that Warren Gatland would want to play mm. and having seen Townsend do it do you think is there a comparison there that you can see yeah there very much is I mean it's a question of whether the coach trusts him to do that I mean Ian McGee can very much trust Gregor Townsend to to play like that you know and no, didn't want to take away that that, that instinctive, uh, you know, ability to to see things uh, that perhaps others don't, but equally, you know, knew that uh, that we weren't going to have huge amounts of ball against South Africa. So the ball we did have, we've we got to look after and cherish. I can't remember touching the ball terribly too much in the in the second test. It was a bit of a distraction, if I'm honest. <laughs> but uh, no, listen, I, I think it, it, I think it can work. But I think Gregor Townsend also had had, had the respect of all the players that that, that that were playing in in there, and he respected them. You know. I mean, if he did something that he wasn't supposed to do uh, or, or, or just didn't work on more than one occasion, you'd have the sort of, you know, the eyebrow of Martin Johnson bearing down on you. So, uh, yeah, look, I, th- I think there is a balance to be struck there. I think Finn Russell's very much part of the conversation, as are all the fly halves at the moment. Quite honestly, you'd be happy with with whoever they, whoever he took, he took on the tour because it would mean that those players would fit into the way that Warren, Warren Gatlin sees as, as, as winning against um, against South Africa. So, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm definitely uh, with you on that one, for sure. Question that I got now, and maybe sacrilegious, is to whether James Ryan's going to make the Lions tour, because by his standards, he's been very quiet. But Farrell has got to make the awful decision, almost as um, like it was when they got rid of O'Driscoll, as to when he should move on uh, Sexton at fly half. And that is going to be the key to the, his whole future. Yeah, and it's not it's not an easy decision to make, is it? With uh, no. I mean, Joey Carberry, I saw had a had a you know much improved. Well, he had a match winning performance, not much improved for uh, Munster. So you know, there's that, that there is options there for sure. So let's park the Six Nations for a little while. Um, and th- th- there's been some rogue lion schedules doing the rounds on social media. Uh, I was getting uh, 
a lot of phone calls and, and texts and tweets from people saying, "Is this true? What do you know, and what can you let us know uh, now uh, that you that, that you might reveal in the in the next few weeks about this lion's schedule and what's happening?" Well, well, well I, can, I can I can let you know straight from the horse's mouth at Twickenham, they're meant meant to be the people who are. Um, campaigning for it to be the home unions tour, or indeed only three of them, because one of those uh, those things we, you mentioned, Lawrence, there was Ireland weren't on it because of of uh, restrictions on tra- on travel there. But Twickenham said on the record to me that they still hope the tour will be in South Africa. Now, whether or not that's bullshit, if we can say that on this show, I don't know. But um, that's that. And the odd thing is you've got a lot of people who want the tour to be a, a proper tour in South Africa. But apparently, well, not apparently, th- those people don't include the South Africans who are so short of money. They don't want it to be postponed because they'll, they will then run out of money. And actually, financially, they want it to be here. So it's as clear as mud. But I do think that the chances of it being in South Africa have gone up from 2% to about 6% because of the recent uh, the COVID improvements over there. No, quite right. Let's start to apologise to our listeners if you picked up any... Any, lang- any foul language there at the breakdown? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think those those schedules that, that got sent out were the Lions say they weren't Genuine. they weren't original documents. Uh, I think there's a lot of truth in in them. You know, and and they are planning behind the scenes. They have to plan for a home series, yeah. so it's no surprise that they're putting schedules together and they're looking at the logistics. And Warren Gatlin's been to Jersey to scout out the, a training camp base over there, and you know, th- these plans have to go on in the background. So. Uh, yeah, I'm not surprised about that. They I've, got exist. Say, I've, got to say, I've got to say, guys. I mean, you know, yes, we all want the tour to happen in South Africa, as does every rugby fan. But uh, as an alternative, it looked a pretty tasty fixture list to me. I, I was quite, I was quite impressed with that. Four te- finishes with obviously the four Test matches against South Africa, one in each of the home, you know, nations, as you'd expect. The South Africa get their, their warm up games against, um, you know, the likes of, of Japan and the USA, and and. And then there's a bit of French barbarians thrown into the mix there. I thought it was quite. I thought it was a pretty good schedule to me. But why the four tests? I don't get the four tests. Surely you want three tests. So there's a decider. Well, then, then one of the four home unions feels left out, don't they? If they don't get. Uh... Twickenham have objected to the fourth test on grounds of player welfare. That was direct from Twickenham. There's always ways around it, aren't there? You know, you have a squad's big enough so that. Maybe each player only plays a maximum of three test matches. You know, that, that could be an option. Well, I think you've got to go the whole, you got your first choice team all the way through or not at all. I don't think it's a rotating type of uh, event. Great. Lawrence, do you, you compared the, the tour you went on, the great tour, the physicality. You opened up against Eastern Province and you played Western Province. And I think we went to Natal and my God, those were tough old games. How can you prepare a Lions tour when everyone wants a crack of playing in the test matches by playing the French Barbarians? But I don't think you're comparing light with light. We all know that when you tour South Africa, you know, the the games before in the lead up to the to the test matches are a huge physical, you know, massive games in themselves. You know, New Zealand sometimes, you know, equally that the games midweek are or in the build up are I like test matches. They're really, really tough. Uh, Australia, not quite so much because they just don't have that strength in depth. So no, you, you can't compare that in any way whatsoever. You know, most of the South African players haven't played a huge amount of rugby uh, in the build-up because of because of COVID. Obviously, they've got to you know they've got to find their their approach as well. So look, it's all up all up for grabs at the moment, and I'm expecting you, Josie, to break this exclusive in the next uh, 
next week or so. Uh, I hope. Jonesy, that, those schedules that went around had Twickenham hosting the fourth test. So if, if the RFU don't want it to happen, then, then they might end up losing a game. No, you're right. But I mean, I think everyone thinks that Twickenham have got to have one. But again, see the Irish have put up Lansdowne Road. Absolutely asininely stupid. If you can get 26,000 more people into Croke Park, you've got to have it there. People just want their little cosy corner and their yeah. little drinking dens. This is the bloody British line. Josie, that's that's why the, the RFU line. the RFU saying to you on the record, we still hope it goes ahead in South Africa. That might be their official on the record position. I don't buy it for a second for exactly the reason you've just explained. You're on mute, Lowell. That's the greatest line of 2021. You're on mute. <laughs> I was, indeed. Um we are moving on to the Premiership. Good wins for, for for Bristol, Bath, Northampton, Leicester and London Irish who are making a march up the Gallagher Premiership table whilst Exeter halted uh, Harlequin's recent revival at um, what could only be described as a grassless sandy park. Anyone pay any attention to the to the Premiership after uh, such a sort of a top table of international rugby this weekend? Blair Cowan yesterday, 35 yeah. tackles. Apparently, that's the, apparently a record in a Premiership game. Yeah, I mean, and what, a great and a great tribute, by the way, to to uh, and to the very sad news of the passing of Gary Halpin, great wonderful man. So that, I know there was a minute silence before that game, and London Irish, you know, just just going about their business quite quite good. I, I have to say, you know, I can't wait for that for, for for fans to be back in stadiums to see how how that. Works out for them at Brentford because I think I think they've got a great setup there. And uh, have you done a game in that stadium? I have been in the stadium. Yeah, it's uh, I really really like it, but it's just set up so nicely for uh, you know to to receive fans. Um, You know, there's a I mean anyone who uh, who wants any more information, I've got a couple of really good pub calls all the way to that stadium, and uh, (laughs) (laughs) and they they got a couple of players there. A Brophy clues in the mid midfield look look good. Uh, They've got a good tough pack, and obviously. Blair Cohen was magnificent. I'm really mm. looking forward to it. And to be fair to Worcester, they didn't look like a, a, a bottom of the table team at all. They, they they really had a go and they could easily have won it. So yeah. that was a good game. I enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, Worcester, um, Jonathan Thomas, their coach, talking about, about them now being trying to grow their squad organically, make decisions for the longer term. So all the people that think that, that ring fencing has... Uh, has only has only one effect on a team. Uh, it does change your your views ever so slightly. If you look at a club like Worcester, who maybe don't then have to buy short term fixes for for much longer term problems. Um, Lawrence, we, just can I just uh, just interested in what you said there? That pub crawl to Brentford would would that be mainly a sort of a, a North Bank from Hammersmith down through Chiswick, or would you be going up from R- Richmond through Kew? I mean, there's uh, or would you have two rival groups who would meet in the middle? <laughs> <laughs> decisions, decisions. I was thinking about uh, more of a more of a sort of southwest London sort of uh, sort of a slight amble up from from the Bull's Head in in Stroud on the Green, um, and you take your pick. Really, there's uh, there's about four or five uh, pretty good pubs that finish with the Express right on the uh, on Kew Bridge there. Um, <laughs> take takes wait. takes in the Greyhound, um, you know the Coach and Horses, and then if you you know if you if you really have got what it takes to go all the way, then after the game you you, you do the reverse. Um, in, in, in a slightly different fashion. Sounds like a good rock special. I think we should do a rock special. Yeah, I can I can tell you what, you would defeat the object because by the time you got home, you'd have forgotten the score and even where you went. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, so, and some very sad news again. We mentioned Gary Halpin, but also the passing of uh, of, of the great Martin Johnson. Uh, Owen, uh, Stephen, I'm, I'm going to leave it to you too, really, to, uh, to, to bring our listeners into the world of, of, of Martin Johnson. 
if any if anyone doesn't know, and there's plenty of reasons why, because because Jono hasn't written for a while, but uh, he 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 was what for me one of the all time great sports writers. At his best, he was at his best when he was the independent cricket correspondent. Uh, and he he was a, lo- a lovely writer, but he was the standout funniest correspondent that I've ever I've ever read, and and he he was he didn't just crack jokes, but he he told you what was going on and, and interpreted what was going on at the same time as being a, a really amusing read. That that was in the sort of the late eighties when he was at his real pomp, late eighties, early nineties, and 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 I read that, and and I and well. There, there are people in life that probably like you, Lawrence. You watch rugby players. You thought, oh, I could, I could do with being a bit like him. I could learn from a bit like him. But, 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 Jono had a um a, a touch and a class and in his humour where I just it, you you could admire, but you couldn't really you couldn't really try to copy because it was so clever. Aside from that, he he was a great guy. He was a fantastic boozer, a lovely person to spend time with after a match. Uh, so dearly missed. Oh, well, look, it's very difficult because if you only know him through uh, through the work, you wouldn't know him that, that well, I suppose. But um, he's a dear friend of mine, and I actually sat next to Martin. My first ever game was rugby correspondent, watching Barnsley kick uh, Bristol to victory. In 1983, I sat next to Jono, two little cubs. We were in short trousers. And uh, he's, a dear, he's a dear friend of mine and of many, many people, Great golfer, unbelievably, but um, and also a great writer, and uh, miss him. To, I will miss him desperately. We're going to move on to our god or goddess of the week to finish, uh, as we always do. Um, some uh, likely contenders. While you're all thinking, because I know you haven't thought about it, but uh, uh, Joy Neville has got to be right up there for England fans for her goddess of the week moment. Eddie Jones, maybe he's your god of the week for uh, for what he's done. The great, the wonderful Jimmy Gopper for his act of sportsmanship that wouldn't have gone unnoticed. There are so many contenders. Slotty, uh, I'm going to start with you. I've got uh, a surprise one, I guess. Uh, my God of the Week is Phil Bennett, at the age of 72, making a comeback in the Ireland number three jersey, uh, <laughs> hop, hopping and skipping and sidestepping around the uh, around the Scotland opposition. Yeah. Who would have thought he had it in him? So uh, Phil Bennett is my God of the Week. Arthur? I'd like to name-check Rachel Burford. I, th- I thought... Steve's interview with her on, on our rock special was excellent. And yeah. I, I, I'm going to pick Marrow. I thought Tom Curry was excellent um, at Twickenham, but I thought Marrow Atoji was just phenomenal all the way through to the end. So just the work he gets through, the influence he has when he's playing well, and he was at his best. So I'm picking him. Mine was going to be um, Gail Fiku, who I think is now blissfully, gloriously ahead in terms of centre play in the world game. He used to be a bit of a sort of fringe figure on the wing. Now he seems to pull on weight, power, pace, everything. He's like the all-round centre. But I am going to go for Lawrence Delario uh, with the man who started off by making fun of me for my IT problems and has muted himself 11 times in one <laughs> podcast. So this absolutely brilliant effort by Lawrence. So my God of the week is IT Lawrence. He's on mute again. <laughs> no, clearly that was um, that was somewhat deliberate. I've often given away deliberate penalties, but um, that, was, that, was def- that, was, that was definitely one. I, um, I'm sport for choice, really. Some, some wonderful... Uh, uh, some wonderful call-outs from from you three as always, but um, uh, I really have to go with with Joy Neville, not not because she gave the try uh, and, and made England fans 
so uh, so happy but really because as someone who's uh, who broadcasts every week and you see the process and the communication between TMO and uh, and referee and the referee had an outstanding game Andrew Brace he could easily be our god of the week but for, to to actually to have the courage and the confidence to overrule a referee uh, a lot of TMOs would sit there and, and and know that he's made the wrong decision, but because he's made the wrong decision, you know, he hasn't made the wrong decision. He's just made a decision based on what he saw. Uh, but for her to have the courage to to overrule that, and for all you Welsh, Scottish, Irish, French fans out there, it was a try because if you look at that first angle, there's undoubtedly he gets the point of the ball down on the line. And for her to to have the courage to do that, I thought was was outstanding. And how long before she actually gets? The opportunity to referee one of those, um, what, what you know, what, what, one of those sort of similar test matches because I thought she was brilliant. So that she's was a good one. A goddess of. Did, did Roman Platt show uh, Andrew Brace what he should have done, which was to get his head stuck into the bottom of the ruck to, to actually have a look first? <laughs> <laughs> he also spoke to Johnny Sexton, saying, "Johnny, come, come, don't be scared, don't be scared, don't be, don't be scared. I, even if I wanted to restart the game, this whistle's not working, so it's okay." <laughs> there were some wonderful moments of humor. Gentlemen, uh, as always, my thanks to you all, Owen Slot, Alex Lowe and Stephen Jones. The Ruck returns on Monday after nearly the end of the Six Nations. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review and you can subscribe on Acast, iTunes and your usual podcast provider. helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.